Hello, hello, August Falta. You're listening to Big Fan, a podcast about, for, and featuring big music fans. Before we start, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who listened and who shared the podcast. It actually made it actually made me nervous, if I'm being honest. I did not look at my messages for a few days, but it was, yeah, it was just so nice to have such a nice reaction and to hear your opinions on the conversation, on Bruce Springsteen. We got a lot of love for Benny too, which was obviously well-deserved. So yeah, thank you so much. And if you shared it especially, it really means the world to me. We did get one small complaint now, um, and that was that people wanted to see Benny which I suppose is the downfall of the audio medium but actually we have a way around this and if you follow the newsletter gingeripod.substack.com is the address you actually get all the photographs and so for Benny's episode we have a picture of himself and myself and we also have a photograph of his Bruce Springsteen scarf from the Slane gig in 1985 so that's all on the newsletter and the same goes for this podcast we'll have a few pictures anything we reference any books we recommend all the links and photos will be on the newsletter too and that brings me to this week's guest there is actually a shortage of feather boas in Dublin at the moment it's making all the big headlines I'm sure we're all really worried about it but it can only indicate one thing, that is that Harry Styles is coming to Slane Castle next Saturday, the 10th of May. I don't have a ticket. I thought I'd be okay about it, but maybe I'm not. He's going to be supported by Wetleg, Annie Mack and Mitch Rowland, the guitarist of his own band. And that made him a natural choice for this month's podcast. The guest was also a natural choice because... Ali Whelan is someone who I had never met in real life before, but she has this glittering, giddy presence on social media. She's a lover of all things pop culture and especially Harry Styles. And she followed Harry around Europe last year while I followed vicariously through her Twitter account. So I was really excited to meet her and to discuss this and to just fangirl a little bit, which I think we really did. The uh, tone on this podcast is definitely... It's a step higher in giggliness and just general fangirling maybe than the first episode. Ali also has a Formula One podcast. Little known fact about me is that I actually loved Formula One. My granddad's second name is Ferrari and so we always, I don't know, associated with them I guess and he loves the Formula One and he would make us dinner every Sunday and the Formula One would be on in the background and I really thought that this was what every family did until I mean I must have been 19 20 I was definitely in college and I woke up in the house on Parsons Street where everyone seemed to crash at the time um, after a night out and the lads were like oh should we go down to the pub get a carvery get a pint and I was like yeah we can watch the Formula One and they were like sorry what we're gonna watch the GAA like everybody else and my mind was blown I really thought that everyone watched Formula One every Sunday so anyway we're getting off point already. Um, I really can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Ali. I would also love to hear your opinions. And something lovely that happened this time was that we got a few listener questions and we answered them at the end of the podcast. But we also got a listener voice note. Um, so you will hear Kevin Burke later in the episode. Thank you so much, Kevin. And that actually got me thinking that that would be a really nice way to grow the community aspect of this. So yeah, if you have any opinions, if you have any questions about Harry Styles or Springsteen or 
I'll announce the next guest soon. But that's enough from me anyway. It is time to hear from this month's big fan, Ali Whelan on Harry Styles. So this week's big fan is Ali Whelan or at Fizzy Ali on social media. She works for the Dublin Fringe. She co-hosts her own Formula One podcast that I'm newly obsessed with. And kind of from where I'm standing is just like a great gal about town. Yeah. <laughs> oh my so God, I'm honored. Welcome. <laughs> thank you. Welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Not at all. So I suppose for context, how I don't think I've even explained this to you, but how I found you was during 2021, yeah. things happening, we all know what was going down, and I fell down a massive Harry Styles rabbit hole. I think it was just a bleak time and... Mm. He was this bright beacon in palazzo pants and I was just like, <laughs> yeah, hook it to my veins, obsessed with the Fine Line album, listen to it on repeat. But the algorithm obviously found me out and my Twitter started <laughs> suggesting loads of Harry Styles content and your name kept popping up. So I was like, I'll follow oh this gal. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And then fast forward like a year, you were following him around Europe on tour, which is amazing. I can't <laughs> wait to talk about that. But maybe tell us a bit about yourself first. Yeah, so I'm from Kildare, live in Dublin. Same. I work. Are you? Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't know you're from Kildare. Um, yeah, I work in like marketing, design, communications. I think kind of what all fan girls work in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I've just been obsessed with like One Direction. I've, I think I've always been like obsessed with a band. Okay. Um, I guess Harry's the current one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I kind of, I think I'm just very online. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm like relatable, insanely <laughs> online. Um, and yeah, I fell down the Harry rabbit hole. From the beginning, I think. Okay, right. Like the One Direction days, yeah. And so, like, we're one episode into the podcast and I was already like, can I throw out the script and, like, do a Formula One episode? Because (laughs) (laughs) it's obviously a music podcast, but I'd love to chat to you about Formula One. How did you get into that? Drive to Survive. Okay, amazing. And I feel like so many people have, like, so much to say about that, like, oh, it's a bad way to get into it and stuff. There's no bad way. I love the drama. Yeah. Like... There's nothing wrong with love and drama. Absolutely not. You know, that's the best part of sports. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) people love the drama. Yeah, that's how I got into it. I think my my dad is very into it, or was more into it in, like, the Michael Schumacher days, so it would have been on, but I just would sit and be like, why are they just driving in circles? Like, what is the... Because yeah. I'm a gag girl. Okay. So I was like, I don't get the point here. Yes. But now that I know the point and I know all the things that can stop them winning, I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. I actually uh, haven't watched Drive to Survive yet. <gasps> I know. It's so good. I don't know why I've put it off. I'll go and do that. Maybe. It just puts so much personality into all of the teams, yeah. the principals, the drivers. I think it just gets you so hooked. It's pure reality television. Like, yeah. half the stories are probably not true. The way it's produced is probably chopped and changed all over okay. the place. But, like... <laughs> you get hooked yeah so I think yeah I think that's how a lot of people are getting into the sport because it's not I guess they're not coming at it from like a sports angle Mm -hmm. like my whole friend group's obsessed now and they're not sporty people at all I've probably never watched a football match (laughs) you know and they're all obsessed so like we all go to the pub now to watch it class and do you have a favorite team Ferrari for my sins no I know we're not doing too well I know it's it's so bad I support Valtteri Bottas Mm -hmm. and Alex Albon as well but they're also doing terrible it's all just Red Bull at the moment isn't oh, it? I'm yeah. sick of if I hear Max Verstappen <laughs> again if I hear the Dutch national anthem on those races again I will cry 
gas. Okay, I'm gonna move on from Formula One because I feel like I could fall down a rabbit a t- hole. T- yeah, here as totally. well. Maybe we will come back for like a bonus <laughs> episode in the future. But you described yourself as a fangirl there, and I was really glad because I felt like I'd maybe made an assumption and I didn't want to <laughs> put the label on you. But something that I loved about your online presence was how passionate you are about things and you love the things you love. I feel like for a while there wasn't cool to be overly excited about anything. Everyone was trying to be a bit nonchalant or distant or disinterested. And that was cool. But now it's kind of cool to be a fangirl again. It's cool to have passions. And I love that. I think it makes life brighter and more vibrant. But would you agree that it's kind of swung around again? Oh my God, massively. Like, I I just don't see the point in not being passionate about things. Like, why half yeah. like something or hide half of the way you like it mm-hmm. I just don't I don't understand that like I've never been even when I was like a teenager when it is a bit funny I guess to be a fangirl yeah. I was so unashamedly a fangirl in school and everything so I think I've just always been a little bit like that yeah. but I, I think it's gotten cool to be a fangirl now um, I would partially put it down to Harry Styles' fandom I think Taylor Swift's fans have a lot to do with it yeah they're a force of nature they are yeah and I think as well like the whole new like K-pop sort of thing mm-hmm. as well like they're they are massively unashamed of being fangirls online, yeah. which is incredible. Um, so yeah, I, do, I don't think there's as much shame put on it anymore because I think people own it a little more, which is great. Thank yeah, God. no, I love it. I <laughs> yeah. do like it. And so you were a One Direction fan, like you've been there since day one. Yeah, I was a fan. This is actually so funny. I was a Liam girl. Oh, cute. So when they like had their auditions and Liam came on, I was like, oh, I love this guy. <laughs> and then obviously when he was put in a group, I was like, well, I have to support the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was kind of like, Aleem and Niall girl I actually didn't love Harry at first I thought he was a bit annoying so it's really funny that I ended up being a Harry girl I feel um, like everyone's a Harry girl now everyone's a Harry girl uh, but yeah the whole way through X Factor I was like I'm still to this day convinced that they actually it was rigged and that they they should have won I'm like they gave them the underdog story to make them popular I forget that they didn't win yeah, third they didn't even wow. come second that completely drifted from my mind it's I just bizarre. assumed like, there's no way they didn't no. win. Who won that year? Matt Cardle. <laughs> it took me a minute there. I was like, who was it? Because Matt Cardle, Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, yes. One oh. Direction. Oh, my granny loved Matt Cardle, to be fair. Maybe it was the older people who Maybe actually had more credit in their phones and not the teenage texting. girls voting. Yeah. I was using my parents' phones. <laughs> And did you have friends who were into One Direction as well? It was like a whole thing. Yeah, so when I was in school, there was, I think, eight, seven or eight girls in my class and we all loved them. So it was just like a massive thing in school. And then like online, like I was, I was very online from before One Direction because I was a massive Jonas Brothers fan before that. So I think I was already in the right realms of the internet to find friends who also liked them. So there's kind of like a community building right from the get-go. Yeah. And I was kind of already in it when the change happened. I love that you brought that up because I like have a bit of FOMO for that whole scene online that was happening because I was so late to the party that like have you heard well you probably definitely have there was like a shrine built to where Harry Styles got sick on the side (laughs) of a motorway in the US yeah and it was like this massive thing on Tumblr and I only came on this like you know 10 years later and I was like oh I wish I was there for the buzz yeah there's there's so like I don't know there's like so many like landmark events that (laughs) happened that like it must be so strange for people to go back and see them now like one of the things I always think about that is just like I remember it happening when it happened I'm just like that is insane now when there was like One Direction fans who hacked the the security cameras I think it was at an airport maybe in Germany somewhere I don't know but they hacked the airport security I remember that happening on Twitter and everything it's like 
That's so that. mad. Like, imagine people going back now, maybe people doing academic research on fandom, yeah. discovering that that happened. And it is, Listen, like, it's a whole realm, isn't it? Like, parts totally. of the internet were developed in response to teenage girls on the internet, and I love that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know where Twitter would be if it wasn't for teenage girls or yeah. fangirls in general. Like, it's just, yeah, it's mad. <laughs> I love the, like, teen fan thing as well, because... It's so easy to dismiss pop music as being kind of frivolous or like mm-hmm. unimportant because I think it's so adored by teenage girls. And there's the Harry Styles quote from uh, Rolling Stone where he says, <laughs> My instinct was to do that in an English accent, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> He says, who's to say that young girls who like pop music, short for popular, right, have worse musical taste than a 30-year-old hipster guy? Young girls like the Beatles. And you're going to tell me that's not serious? Teenage girls don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act cool. They like you and they tell you, which is sick. And I love that. Like, that's, you know, the whole thing. And when you think yeah. about, like, the landscapes that teenage girls actually do change. Or, you know, when you think of, like, Beatlemania, I envision these massive crowds like roaring but it's not male voices you're hearing like it's teenage girls no, screaming for them it only became men years later yeah which is the mad thing i'm like is that gonna happen with him yeah maybe it's crazy to think about will history be the same yeah. will harry styles be very very cool to men in a few years <laughs> i think it kind of is i think have changed a little bit i think though like at the aviva there were so many men around us oh i love that yeah yeah and why do you think like he became such a phenomenon after one direction and like obviously the others are mm. doing well but maybe not to the same extent like what was it about harry styles that kind of put him on the next level oh my god so many reasons i think <laughs> yeah I think like an unapologeticness about himself and who he is and the music he wants to make. Yeah. Um, Because I think he's making the music that people knew he wanted to when he was in One Direction. I think fashion actually is a massive part of it because any fashion trend that has happened in the last like four or five years, I think has kind of come from him. Yeah. Like even now, every time I see someone like, what are they called? The like Adidas colored ones. Sambas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time I see someone them, I'm like, that's so Harry coded. (laughs) Like, because they were cool before, but they're really cool now. Mm -hmm. And just the kind of like flares, the like monochrome suits, like they all kind of came in when he started wearing them. So I think fashion is actually a massive part of it because like the others are cool their music good as well but like I don't know maybe their fashion choices aren't as brave yeah. so I think people maybe see it as admirable or I don't know a trend to follow that's a good point I love that there's a feather boa shortage in Dublin at the moment it's on all the newspapers yeah. <laughs> and it was the same the last time round as yeah. well that's so funny because he never wore one on stage so I always find that so gas. Funny, like it was yeah. just was, was it just that someone threw him on or was it like the Grammys red carpet or maybe the Grammys yeah the green one yeah but he only suit. did it once that's so just so funny that it took off as this thing and it's a massive thing I remember walking to work the day after the show in the and Aviva feathers. and those feathers everywhere like every gutter is stuffed with them yeah I remember so getting funny. on the Lewis the day after and I was like yeah. oh my god the feathers the aftermath <laughs> I love the little Hoover in the satellite video as well and it's gone through all the feathers. Yeah! That made me cry. Yeah. The fashion thing definitely is massive and I think maybe, I think that even influenced me maybe to go Mm. and listen to the music. No Um, way. Yeah, I think so. But he seems to receive like a lot of backlash as well for that as well or like the kind of, I don't want to get into it too much but there's a lot of queer baiting allegations and that kind of thing which is ridiculous. But why do you think that is when like, We've had Bowie, we've had Prince, like we've had kind of flamboyant dressers on stage. Like what is it about him that provokes that, do you think? I think it's because people expect more 
I think because so many of his fans are so heavily involved in activism that they just want more from him. Yeah. So I think it will just actually maybe never be enough. Yeah. Um, but I always look at it like, I think he's doing far more than any of the others have after coming out of the band. So, yeah, I, th- I think it is just an expectation to want more from him. But I think it's just such a privacy thing as well in that, like, yeah. he doesn't really share a lot in general. But I think people are right to hold him to it. Yeah. Um, to an extent. I actually was surprised when I went researching for this to see how much he had done for good causes mm. or LGBT activism and charities and things. Like, he's not very vocal about it, but it is happening. And he does a lot quietly, yeah. Yeah, and that's nearly nicer, I think. Yeah, because I know for the first two, I don't know if it's the same for this one, but the first one for every location, there was a local charity chosen yeah. for, I think it was like wristbands or something that was sold, something from the merch. Um, but I think it was like the full amount went to whatever yeah. the local charity was. And I think a lot of them were LGBT or like homeless charities and stuff. So it's like, I think he just does a lot more quiet gestures, yeah. which, yeah, is is really nice. Yeah, You're not going to announce it on Twitter. <laughs> I did this today. By the way. <laughs> By the way, guys, I am a good person. Doing some queer <laughs> charity work. Because that would be awful. <laughs> and then there's also just the fact that I think like, say Bowie or Prince or someone like kind of came on the scene more or less like formed in terms of their style choices and things mm. whereas like he arrived in a top shop infinity scarf like there was yeah. a bit of a, <laughs> a transformation there people forget that he was like 16 15 yeah. during his audition it's like people change that's a long time ago yeah never mind as a person but just like trends happen and he also has a very cool stylist people forget harry that Lambert, there's a stylist yes. involved like you see harry on his days off he kind of does just dress like any other lad yeah true and then true. he's on stage and he dresses cool like i think people i don't know there's not enough separation between casual everyday harry and on stage harry like they're two different people Interesting. i think <laughs> in my notes here which are super professional instead of um a question here. I just have shout out to Harry Lambert written as our next one. <laughs> <So>. Yes. <laughs> the stylist who is amazing. And Gucci have a strong hand, I feel, in yeah, all of that. I'm so glad he's like, is he a partner of Gucci, face of Gucci? Like, I'm so glad they're involved because yeah. I just think that's such a partnership made in heaven. Yeah. Everything they make looks good on them. The cuts, like, beautiful. Beautiful. And I hope that continues now that Alessandro Michele is gone because they seem to be really good friends. So yeah. I was kind of wondering, would he follow him maybe if he, like... To his next brand. another brand. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I actually thought that as well. I was like, will he change who he's with now? And yeah. how, what would that look like? Because I associate him so much with the Gucci brand and the kind of mad style and the suits. I wouldn't be shocked if he completely changed up. With like I a thought it would change new... up on this album. Yeah, I expected I a too. massive change. I, I had a totally different thing in mind for the recent album, Harry's House. Yeah. I thought he was going to go full rock. And I really thought that this on-stage styling would be more either like what he did at the Grammys with the leather suit. Yeah. Or that it'd go really casual and like kind of homely, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think he does for some of the shows, like where he wears like the blue jeans and the like sort of graphic t-shirts. But then, yeah, I, I'm not actually crazy on the styling at the minute. I was about to ask yeah. because I feel like last tour... I was obsessed with the sparkles, the tassels. Yeah. I didn't love the Dublin one, though. I was like... No, and it didn't fit him. He kept pulling up his trousers. (laughs) (laughs) Every time he moved, he was pulling up his trousers. Like, I swear, any video I took at that gig, he is pulling them up. I'm like, man, stick a pin in it. Go backstage. (laughs) Do something. Yeah, because they, I don't know, haven't been as... I don't know, show-stopping. Maybe I'm desensitised. No, I think so as well. I just It's too repetitive, which I would understand if it was like from a sustainability 
side of things and they were dyeing them or like I don't know mixing the outfits up but it doesn't even seem like that's it whereas like last year I don't know I loved like the suits he wore in America with like the waistcoats Mm -hmm. or like he wore a very cool like green velvet thing in LA that I I loved or the tassely there was like a tassely thing in Vegas that was like full pink and it was just I love when the outfits really go with the place like it was so Vegas maybe the Dublin one was as well with the green but it was a clown suit Um, going back a little bit to say like coming out of One Direction and everything else I wasn't really there at the time but I feel like there was a lot of pressure on him to kind of prove himself like Mm. are you a real musician because they weren't taking that seriously maybe as a band yeah and I think he's succeeded in that but what did that like look like at the time I think like even like his fan base felt pressure because it was like well, we were always judged, I guess, in a way yeah. for being fans of something that wasn't so serious. So it was kind of like, oh, well, I hope he's more serious now so we can also be taken serious. You know, yeah. there's that that kind of feeling as well, I think. Um, but I don't know, I feel like people knew he was going to be the one who did well. Like, I, I know there was definitely pressure on him, but I think there was kind of a certainty, a quiet certainty yeah. that it was going to be good for him. And then, like, Sign of the Times dropped and you're like, okay, this is the direction we're going. Yeah. And it was exactly what people thought it would be, like the fans anyway, I don't know about anyone else, but uh, to drop like, what is it, like six minutes long, I was like, that's kind of brave. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when that came out, someone on the radio said that it was like the Bob Dylan of our times. And my dad just heard this and ran with it. Every time Harry Styles me, the Bob Dylan of our times, I was like, okay, dad. Oh, and I love when people say stuff like that because it gets such a reaction online. And like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, if you think about the lyrics and yeah. everything around him, he kind of is maybe one of these big icons of our time, which people will only really say in like 50 years time. I really like as well that he actually has writing credits on loads of other albums and things that people don't really know about. And I think that says something that like someone else trusts him to go into the studio and like represent them in a way. Yeah. Um, He's on like an Augustana album or two. I don't know if anyone listens to Augustana anymore, (laughs) but I used to love them. Yeah. Total Line and Gavin DeGraw. So like... Ariana Grande too. Really? Yeah. I forget the name of the song. It's like a little piece of your heart or just a little piece. He sang it actually at the Dublin gig the first time he was here. And I didn't know that at yeah. the time that um, he was involved. And I think he wrote it for her to sing, mm-hmm. um, but has his own version of it that's like quite different to hers. Cool. Uh, which is, it's, yeah, it's so nice that other people trust him. I think that that's another thing he does quite quietly as well. Yeah, because I didn't, I literally didn't know that until like two days ago. Yeah, no, it's mad. And I think, I don't know, I feel like the people who still don't, who still aren't convinced of him, if yeah. they knew that, maybe they'd be more on board. Yeah, we actually have a question from a listener. Oh. Um, I'm going to play it for you. Oh my God. (laughs) This is Kevin Burke and he has a question kind of to do with what we've just been discussing. Me, as someone who's a folky and like mostly 50s, 60s, 70s music, it's very hard for me to get into new bands and like One Direction never really did anything for me and anything like that never really does anything for me. But Harry's House, especially that song Late Night Talking, but like, uh, it's not Pineapple Juice, Watermelon Sugar, and a few that I think it's the first four tracks on that album, especially. Oh man, the, the production on it. And like, it's like what I'd imagine people our age experience when they hear the Bee Gees. And like, oh my God, I want to go out and I want to dance. And I want to smile and sweat and enjoy and feel all the music. I love Harry Styles' album there, um, that Harry's House one. It's so good. So maybe if. I don't know what a question would be around that. Like, does your guest think that he's crossed 
genres has he, he definitely brought in a wider audience there maybe uh, like going to as she toured around did she see people like that weren't the obvious Harry Styles fan and I looked up the credits to his album and there's one this one chap I think he has all the co-writing credits on all of the songs on that album so he must be a bit of a genius and he should be talked about as well even watching his band as well the female drummer she is deadly uh, there's this other girl Noah she's a side act as well sure she has a her own acts, she's savage. Her whole band are tight as f- or sorry, his whole band are tight. Like, I take a follow a few of them on Instagram, they're all unbelievable musicians. Don't know how you could phrase any questions like that, but I don't know, as an outsider looking in and gathering some information or data or anything before your broadcast, it's where my brain is at. <laughs> so thank you, Kevin, for that serious deep dive like yeah. I think Kevin did more research than I did for this podcast and I think who he's talking about is Tyler Johnson on the oh, album oh yeah the probably Tyler producers. Johnson did you see at the shows you mentioned this earlier at the shows was there kind of a wider audience that you weren't expecting I think there was there was more of an age range at them than I expected like there was you know the way sometimes you're at a gig and you can tell that people have either been dragged along or it's like parents who are kind of only there yeah. to be there as like a guardian whereas at this like everyone was having fun like it actually mm-hmm. was mad to see like everyone who was there seemed to want to be there mm-hmm. but uh, yeah the crossing genres like I really think he did it yeah. with Harry's house because I think the first album is actually probably my favourite but I still think he was very much finding his feet there was still like hints of One Direction in there I think he was trying out different genres and seeing what worked fine line I think he leaned more into like the sort of more rock side that his voice really works for but then Mm -hmm. I think with Harry's house he really just went all in on what he likes which I think is that like 60s 70s like vibe because we were already seeing it in aesthetic but maybe Mm -hmm. not in sound and I think we got that this time round. I think that's pulling in the the older audience. Yeah. And I think he nailed it. Yeah, and it's true as well about the production and the band. Like, yeah. at the end of the day, if you have a high-quality production, like, people are going to respond to that, I think, yeah. no matter what the genre or whatever is. No, the, I think the production on Harry's House was just, like, unmatched compared to the first two. Like, you can hear it in it the, yeah. from the moment, like, you first listen. You're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. They really went all out. And then they won the Grammy. Like, it, yeah. it was just, it was perfect. As, like, the listener was saying there about, like, the band. The band are so talented. Like, you mentioned the drummer, Sarah, is in incredible and also for the fans who are mostly women like it's so great to see so many women in a band Mm -hmm. playing the instruments that you maybe don't normally see them play and being so central I feel like he doesn't make his band a background act like even the next few dates I know he has like Mitch is doing his own set Paulie is doing his own set like he really tries to highlight their careers as well is it Nayo was also in the band she's gone off and done her own solo thing now outside of the band so I think he's really big on like pushing everyone as musicians as well which comes out in the recording yeah I love that so while we're talking about the gigs you obviously how how many times have you seen Harry Styles now including One Direction on his own we can include One Direction I've seen One Direction once on every tour so four times I've seen him alone once on his first tour and then on the one last year, I went to five gigs. Wow. Yeah, and I've been going to one to Slane this year. Amazing. And where did you go to those five? Where were the other cities? So the first one I went to last year was Glasgow, which was the first date of the European tour. Then I went to Manchester for the first night of the Manchester gigs, then to Wembley for the first night of the Wembley gigs, then back to the Aviva 
for the Dublin one and then to Paris. Oh, wow. Um, for the last one, yeah. Lovely. <laughs> Were there any, like, standout moments on that little tour? I feel like all of them actually had, like, their own standout. Like, Cute. Glasgow, I caught his, like, pride and Scottish flags. Stop. Yeah, yeah, which was... Now, I nearly died catching them. Yeah, like, yeah. Every, obviously, everyone goes to catch it. And I caught it, but the people behind me had the sides of it. So I was, like, oh, being no. choked. <laughs> um, but I... I like acted up, you know, like I, I yeah, made yeah. it sound like I was being even worse choked. <laughs> I was like, ah! <laughs> so I got to keep it in the end because they all had to let go where I would have died. Amazing. Um, so we found this person who owned the Scottish flag, so we like gave that back, so they're writing all over it and everything. Okay. But kept the pride one, which is now on the back of my door. Oh, that's so special. Um, I love that. Yeah, I'm going to like, I, I wanted to frame it or something, but I just haven't found like, I don't know, like a frame or a way of framing it that is yeah. nice enough for it. But I will. Manchester was just, it was like a home gig for him. So there was a lot of kind of like, he saw his teachers at it. There was like shout outs to friends. Like it was just really like lovely to be there. It was also had the most beautiful sunset behind the stage. Stunning. I love when that happens. Yeah, it was just gorgeous. Wembley, I was there for the night with the rain. Um, Oh, I saw that on Instagram. Oh, it was so special. Like it was just, it was during sign of the times. The rain was flooding down. And then there was fireworks. There hadn't been fireworks at the other gigs. So it was just gorgeous. We were a bit tipsy. <laughs> uh, they were all my friends. And like we were at the back of one of the front pits. So we'd like run up and down every time he'd move. We were just all over the place. Like, and it was just so fun. The Dublin one was just the best crowd, I think. Okay. Um, Dublin crowds are just that, crazy. You know, celebrities or you know musicians or whatever always say like, oh, you have the best crowd, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, do they say that in every city? And like, is it true? Or do they just say it even if it's not true? So I always wonder. They don't. Don't say it crowd. everywhere. Do they not? They don't say it everywhere because I've gone to a few gigs abroad and they don't say it as much as that you would think. makes me feel special. Yeah, and like I think it's true. Like I didn't think the UK crowds were as good crack as the Dublin crowd. I know that's so like anti-UK, <laughs> but like the thing, they, they're very big into like the wave. Is oh, it yeah. the Mexican wave? They do that and that's kind of their fun. Okay. But we do a lot of chanting. Yeah. I thought the crowd was like, even just the queuing system at the Aviva was so much better. There was like people who kept coming out offering people water. Were you okay? Aww. Do you need food? It was very organised. So it was just very relaxed. Yeah. And there was no kind of push- pushiness about where you were. Like we stood at the back barrier at the front pit thing. But like if we wanted to go in and out to get food or drinks, like no one was taking our place. There was Lovely. like that respectfulness. Mm-hmm. But I think his fans kind of have that in general. I know people always think like, oh, they queue all night and they sleep over and stuff. But there is that level of respect where like you can leave the front row and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one jumps in so that's really nice that is really nice and I do think there's something special about the crowds at his shows like you see them doing mm. the conga lines or whatever during the show but even at the end of the Aviva I don't know if you tried to get public transport home it was a bit of a shit show but they directed us all down the canal there was so much tension and confusion that if you're at a different gig it might have gotten a bit tense or people would yeah. be a bit angry but instead it was just like <laughs> this huge stream of girlos singing uh, Dancing <laughs> Queen by ABBA all down Portobello I was oh. like this is gorgeous it's definitely a certain type of vibe and person there you know? oh my god ours was the same we walked out the Aviva down as far as I think kind of the back of Trinity to get a bus and the whole way there people it was actually a bunch of lads who started it singing Kiwi <laughs> and obviously everyone joined in and it just I don't know felt like a like moving street party yeah but yeah I think the fans are just it's almost cult like like it is like there's nice so many cult. rituals to it like there's certain dances for certain songs and yeah. certain things that people do during certain songs or even like you know the fan projects you see happen where like people will pass things actually in Paris there was one of them you got a, a little note 
that was like hold this up but everyone around the arena had a different colour I think it was maybe lights up and when you put them up each block had a different colour and Aww. you shone your uh, flashlight behind it on your phone so he could see it it was actually gorgeous so nice and like the effort people put into it as well like it's mad and they were massive even back in the One Direction days that's kind of something that's carried through is these like online groups who organise these things or make a decision to go and, and change the night which is lovely I did one actually for for Crow Park um there was like a turn croaker green hashtag. Yeah. I was the person who started that. Stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was like nuts. I was on like the Ryan Tuberty show and <laughs> yeah, it was on like the radio stations and in the paper and stuff. But it, it worked to an extent, but then it rained. You'd look around, you'd be like, oh yeah, there's enough green here to say it worked. Mm-hmm. But then the minute it started raining, there's like ponchos going no. on. <laughs> there was like hoodies going on. It's like, ah, oh, no. <laughs> It was so annoying, but uh, yeah, it was really cool. It was like some of the shops, the touristy shops started selling like t-shirts with it on it. Oh, wow. uh, Which was mad. And so going around Europe and going to those different shows, were you going with like a group of friends that you knew from home or like did you meet people that were doing the same thing? Were there other people kind of following them around? Kind of. So when I was in Glasgow, I went with my friend Aoife, who actually have a One Direction podcast with. It's all about their pop culture, like through the lens of their music. But um, I went with her. We went to Glasgow. We sort of some friends that we knew from that podcast, from interviewing, were going to that. So we met up with them. Then in Manchester, we met up with two of them who have another podcast. Made loads of friends at the Manchester one. Manchester, very friendly. Then in Wembley, we were meeting up with, it was me and Aoife again, with a girl that I had been friends with from like One Direction Twitter in the X Factor days. Wow. Um, who's also coming over now to stay with me to go slaying. Oh, cool. Um, and then in France, I was staying with another friend who I made friends with online in the One Direction X Factor days. And like fully like went over, stayed with her, went to the gig. Like, Amazing. Yeah. So, and then the one here was all kind of my own like little... In real life gang <laughs> and a few like people who had come from abroad who we'd met at the other gigs we ended up being with as well. Have you read Everything I Need I Get From You? No. It's a book, I can't remember who wrote it. It was someone's thesis project and it oh, basically wow. is about fan culture through the lens of an online culture and even like the beginning of the internet and how fans influenced that. But it's all kind of through a One Direction viewpoint oh my god mm-hmm. someone stole my uh, dissertation <laughs> I actually tried to write my dissertation for my undergrad on One Direction how some parts of being a fan are a performed thing cool um, hey. I did drama as my degree and at the time like I would have been writing that like 2017 2018 there was just not really that much academic things yeah. to read at the time but now there's so much more like you could definitely go back um, and do that I would love to yeah. like if I was to ever go back and do a master's it would definitely be something I would look into researching because I'm just I'm just fascinated by it like I think the crossover with internet and fandom yeah. I'm massively interested in yeah and the two really inform each other totally also that woman in Belfast Bibi Ashley and she wrote oh, yes like poems about Harry Styles and they're gorgeous I'll, yeah I'll put a link to the book on the newsletter um it's really really nice um what are your opinions on his acting career <laughs> do you want me to say the truth do yeah we want the truth <laughs> I don't think he's a good actor, okay. but I also think he's been put up against people who are brilliant actors. Yeah, true. So don't worry, darling, there couldn't have been a more experienced cast. Mm-hmm. And to give him a role, it's not a massive role, but there's a lot needed for it. I actually think it was cruel to put him in that role, but I also, when I saw it, I really understood why he was cast, because I think 
not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't watched it, but there is a twist and I think the twist works really well because it's him. The grossness of the twist. Yeah, actually, now that you say it. Because it's him, it's extra yeah. scary. Like, I think if it was just any other actor, it would just be like, oh yeah, cool, but because it's Harry, you're like, oh my God. You never imagined that <laughs> You could never imagine that side of him. Yeah. And also even just the fact that, you know, if he was 16 and auditioned and didn't get it, like, who knows where he would have ended up. Like, yeah. Maybe he wouldn't be I think he has the potential to be a good actor. I actually don't think he's that bad. I mm. feel like if he was just like an unknown actor going into some of those roles, he'd be like unremarkable maybe. Yeah. But because it was a celebrity doing it, everyone was like, he's going to be so bad at this. And I then know. they're kind of satisfied when he wasn't amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I actually hate that judgment of people saying he's going to be bad before he does it. Yeah. Like I went in like expecting him. I actually expected him to be better than he was. Okay. Um, so I was a little let down. But like I was still impressed at how, how well he did next to Florence Pugh. Yeah. Who is probably one oh, of my favourite actors ever. I think in Dunkirk he was pretty good. I actually haven't seen that um, one yet. So oh, he's good. Him. He is good in that. Now there's, I don't think there's an awful lot to do. You know, he's kind of just playing a young man. No, I can actually really see him. He's much older. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he went into acting after music. Mm-hmm. I always think as well of like Bowie and Labyrinth. And he, was, mm. he was pretty bad, I thought. Like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think he was a good actor either, but we're like, but he oh, has but that it's iconic. Presence. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe Harry will have a career like that where it's like kind of bit parts, kind of cameos, but they become iconic with time because maybe. it's him. But yeah, for now, I'm not convinced, but I do think he has the presence. He has the likability. That's mostly... Yeah. what you need to pull off some roles so and that likability as well the drama that went down off screen for don't mm. worry darling and kind of any drama that has arisen around him he seems to just like walk free of it all there's no implication even i mean obviously he didn't do anything that could be implicated i know maybe spitting on chris pine who knows <laughs> but like even then people weren't mad about it the people were mad about the women that's the problem he gets away with it because he's a man like i yeah. feel like everyone was like oh olivia while it's like well, also Harry. <laughs> yeah. The hate Olivia Wilde received, I actually thought was disgraceful. Terrifying. Like, and none, like, none of it was warranted. And maybe it's the was... age gap. Maybe, maybe people didn't like that. His younger fans were probably thinking that's quite weird. I really liked them as a couple. I was very pro Harry and Olivia. Yeah. I didn't have any strong feelings, though, mm. to be honest. But I thought she was really good in Don't Worry, Darling. Like, in I her loved role. her. I thought she was brilliant. And I would love to know the truth of actually what went on because I don't think we know the half of it. No. I'd love to know, like, if it was just marketing like they could have been so clever my thoughts are that maybe there's something going on between him and Florence okay there is a tension with Florence it seems it was all I, worth it seems it like that for the Aperol Spritz moment <gasps> I was like so iconic worth it what yeah. a queen <laughs> but this obviously all fell out on social media and mm. I feel like social media is a huge part of his career at the moment and like this come up a few times in the conversation but something I did feel about the tour mm. is that I don't know if maybe this was a me problem, but I felt like I'd seen so much of the tour online that mm. actually when I went to the Aviva, it was nearly like ticking the boxes. And I was like, yeah, he's done that bit. He's done this. He's done his twirl. And it, I don't know, it kind of took away from the gig a little tiny bit for me. Do you think that's the thing that we need to kind of, not that we need to look at, but like, is that something that's going to happen now in the future of gigs mm. and stuff that they're going to need to be a bit more, I don't know, varied in their approaches so that the fans aren't seeing the same thing over and yeah. over again? controversially now I actually would be very pro no phones at gigs yeah I would love to know nothing going in now I I take videos myself I take pictures myself but like I would absolutely put my phone away if it was a rule I would just love to go in blind Mm -hmm. but I don't I don't even think it's a specifically like a Harry thing I think we're seeing a lot with Beyonce at the minute 
a lot with Taylor Swift. I think when the 1975 had their tour the last time around, I saw nothing but videos from that. And like, I like them, but I'm not Mm -hmm. a huge fan. I think it's kind of the TikTok thing of like people wanting the views, wanting the likes. Like it's it's the addiction to TikTok. And like, I hate to be like, oh, damn TikTok. Like I'm (laughs) I'm not anti-TikTok at all. I love it. But I think it is people being a little bit addicted to it. It's less about, I don't know, getting it for yourself and more about recording the moment for the internet. And who can get the best video, who can get the closest one, who can get the most clear angle. I think it kind of ruins it because, I don't know, like I felt like the same as you. I felt like I knew exactly what was coming when I went to that first show in Glasgow because I'd seen so much from the US. And I was like, oh, maybe he'll mix it up a bit. And like he did, it was like quite a new tour, but there was still so much in it, Mm -hmm. in the way that he performed songs that I'm like, oh, I wish... I wish I hadn't seen this. Like, I wish I went in fresh. One thing that I do think it's good for, though, is, you know, if people have, like, a certain kind of ticket and they're like, where's the best place to stand? They can figure out through videos, oh, he does this song on this part of the stage, so I want to be there because it's my favourite song. That's pretty tactical. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that's a massive thing, I think, on, like, Harry TikTok at the minute. People are like, where's the best place to, to be if I love Kiwi or... I actually seen someone drew a map. If Harry Stamp, they're so organized. They're so organized. They're so, so organized. I, this was for the tour last year. I remember seeing someone after Glasgow had gotten like a map of the stage and had color coordinated lines showing you where he moves for each song, so that if you wanted to be in a certain spot, you could be. I want to say it's chaotic behavior, but it's actually such organized chaos that he couldn't even be described as that. Yeah, like I, I think that's the most like admirable thing about his fans. They yeah. are so organized. Mm-hmm. Every single detail is thought through. I really like that community aspect as mm. well, because I've been thinking a lot about like the AI thing in music. And I think what will actually set musicians apart or what will save the industry from AI invasion is that community Mm. aspect like an AI is not going to have a fan base like that you're never going to create that live experience for like a deck that's just running itself no you can't like replicate a physical community or I suppose it's a kind of braveness as well in like meeting people Mm. from the internet and organizing things with people that you have never met before which I don't think robots can do (laughs) might save music yeah. As a whole, if we do fall down the robots making music route. That is the fan power. Yeah. That's a nice little note now. We're kind of coming to an end. We have a few fan questions first. Oh. And then we have the hard question at the end. But put up a story on Instagram and asked some of our listeners to send us questions. And I mean, three seconds later, this came in. Did he spit on Chris Pine? <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't think he did, but I like to entertain the idea that he did. Yeah. Because it makes it funnier. I just think it's so far (laughs) from his personality. Like, I just don't see him as a spitter in that context. (laughs) Nah, I don't think he did. I think it'd be so funny if he did. I don't know. Maybe he did it as a bit. I love to imagine that there was zero drama and they realised how the internet was reacting to everything they did. And they were like, this would be really funny. Let's mix it up. Um, Ruth wanted to know... Can we sing the cinema breakdown without making mistakes? I wasn't sure. Is that the like, you pop? You got, you got, yeah, that bit. I can't personally sing it without mistakes. Like, I'm actually scared to sing that bit at the concert. So I'm like, everyone's going to think I'm a fake fan. I hate when you get the words wrong in front of people. Yeah. There's that bit of just keep driving, cocaine, side boob, choker with a sea view and everyone lost their minds, including myself, like iconic, love this. But every time I sing it, I say kiss her. It's like my mind has 
censored it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> made it super cute instead. Oh my god. If I say that in public, people would think I'm a prude. I remember <laughs> when I first heard those lyrics though, I was like, no way. Like, I, I, I literally had to see them up. written down before I would believe it. I think that's just like One Direction fan of me being like, they wouldn't be allowed to say that. No. Yeah. <laughs> or the Catholic Guild, who knows? <laughs> then we also have, what song would make you cry? Boyfriends was mine. Oh, Maybe Matilda, because I think everyone cries. So you just, whether or not it affects you, I think everyone around you will affect you if the lyrics don't. Yeah. Little Freak made me cry. Yeah. On the album, not so much like live. I'm trying to think of the other albums now. Is there anything else? I think From the Dining Table is quite sad, but I don't know if it makes me cry. Um, Fine Line, I think. Oh. When I heard that live, I like bawled. And I don't know why I had that reaction to it. That song doesn't make me sad. I'd love to hear it live. (gasps) I actually was so ungrateful when I heard it live as well because this was at the first show in Glasgow. I had never heard it live before. He played it. Obviously, I'm assuming I'm going to four more shows. Mm -hmm. The privilege of that, but like I'm going to four (laughs) more shows. I'm going to hear it again. Don't waste your tears. Yes, I was like, (laughs) I'm going to get to hear this again next week. No. (laughs) It is beautiful. And I think he has a brass band for that bit now. Oh, for the, nice. the big bit and fine line, which will be gorgeous. Like mm. a ball at that. I'm so jealous that you're going to see him on. You, you have time. You have time. I have time. Maybe Twitter. <laughs> Hello. Um, and then last question was fave fit. Fave fit. Oh my god. Oh, there's a few. I think my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. I think one of the last nights he did in LA. But he wore like a green velvet two-piece and it was like a, it wasn't like a regular waistcoat. It was kind of quite old-fashioned. It was a little bit equestrian looking. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it had some kind of embroidery in it and then like matching pants. I yeah. just loved that. I love when he wears something open with the butterfly tattoo. I think it's really... I yeah, really I actually nicely. think most of my favourite outfits are the ones where you can see the butterfly tattoo. Like yeah. there was another one. It was actually just very plain and simple, but it's actually you can so see the influence it had then on fashion straight away afterwards. He wore black baggy kind of suit pants, an open blazer that had like fur at the ends of the arms. And I'm like, yes. that is everywhere now. Everywhere. That is in Zara. Mm-hmm. I have seen this outfit replicated by all the girls of Dublin. Like yeah. it is everywhere now. Anything that's quite dynamic on stage, I think I really like. Like his Vegas outfit with like not quite tassels, but it had like stringy bits. Shimmery. Yeah, yeah. and it was shimmery. Like anything that lights well. Yeah. That's I think that's another thing. I'm come from theatre background I'm like anything that looks nice on the lights and the stage design I think it was in Glasgow he wore like leather pants and like just a plain black t-shirt with like a donut on it and I just thought it was really rock star like I love when he dresses like an icon like an old school icon I actually love his when he goes to Italy outfits like his holiday (laughs) outfits I know that's pretty niche (laughs) I'm showing how far down the rabbit hole it was (laughs) But he just looks so comfy and I'm like, I want to wear a giant linen shirt. And yeah, the adore you video. Oh my God, where he's running along the tunnel. and That's how I want to live my life. Oh my God, was it? No, it was the golden video. Golden, I mixed sorry. it up. Um, okay, so we're nearly at the end. <laughs> but are there any albums or songs that really stand out to you as moments in your life or that you have like strong mm. memories attached to? Oh my God, they all came out. It's such like, I don't know, times where things were like changing in my life, which is mad. Like the first one kind of coming near the end of college so I think I really associate his first album with finishing college deciding oh my god what am I going to do with my life it's kind of that era and I remember that concert that came along with that era of him was the week I was finishing college so it was very much like oh my god everything's due what am I doing (laughs) like I think it was just a really confusing time so it was so nice to have an album that I just loved so much and then the next one Final line was that 2019 and I was working actually back in Kildare and I was a chef 
but oh, I cool. had kind of half decided to emigrate so it came at like an, another time where things were really changing because at the point when that came out I had decided and I had booked the flight so I associate that it's kind of a comfort album because I think when I moved I moved to Iceland for a while oh wow and that is the album that I was always listening to when I moved so like I don't know I think of it as like a fine line is like settling in like new adventures kind of album but yeah no I go back to that a lot and then Harry's house I don't know I, I will always think of that album as the one where I like traveled around Europe to see him yeah. so I was just I think that album will always have like such positive like vibes connotations just from that because I will just associate with like being with so many friends meeting so many new friends seeing new places but yeah, they all stand out. I don't know if there's any... Maybe Sign of the Times stands out now because of the rain in Wembley. Like, I just will never forget that. It was so beautiful. It like, was like... I felt like being in a painting. Like, it was mm. mad. Or maybe Kiwi. I remember Kiwi the first time I seen him in the three arena. It's just... I've never heard a crowd be so loud in my life. Wow. Like, people lose their shit for that song. Like, it, it was really just... Do. Yeah, it was amazing. And so, what is your favourite Harry Styles album? Oh, it's so hard. Because the first one that comes to mind is always the first one. But then the more I think about it, it is fine line. If we were to add up the amount of songs that I prefer (laughs) on each of them, I prefer more songs on fine line. Okay. So I think I'll go with that. Yeah, I think I picked that too. It was like, it was my gateway drug. And then what is your favourite song? I know that's hard. My favourite Harry song. Oh, it's probably Kiwi. I just love a big rock anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Final answer, Kiwi. <laughs> I really had to think it. Oh my god, what is it? <laughs> and what is out of interest your favorite song ever of all time? I don't know what one it would be, but it would be something by Oliver Arnolds, oh, who cute. makes totally different music to Harry Styles. <laughs> like, <laughs> like better but variety. It would be something by him. <laughs> I have one of his songs like tattooed. Actually, I have a Harry song tattooed as well. Do you? What song? Yeah, I have Golden. Oh, cute. Yeah. It's just that such a happy lovely. song. I think I associate that song so much with being like it is so absolutely happy. delighted. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So I got it tattooed. But yeah, I have an Oliver Arnold song tattooed as well. Opposites so on the music spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ali, you have been amazing. Thank you so um, much for doing this. <laughs> Thank you. We love a big fan here and you are definitely a big fan of, of all things and Harry especially. So thank you so much. And where can we follow you and follow your two podcasts? I'm Fizzy Ali on everything, so Fizzy like a drink, and then mm-hmm. Ali spelt A-L-L-I-E. My podcast, Safety Car Joyride. I think we're Safety Car Joyride on everything except Twitter, where we're Joyride Pod. And then Midnight Memories. I think we're just Midnight Memories, the podcast, on Spotify and Apple. We're stopped now for a little while, but we basically review everything in groups of two songs, um, which we will be going back to, but we're halfway through the Midnight Memory season, so halfway there. Amazing. So you can listen up that far. But yeah, we're on everything, I think. Mainly Spotify and Apple, I think, are the big ones. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Thank you. Mila Buechesla, Ali Whelan, absolute dream guest there talking about Harry Styles, of course. I know it helps to maybe see the person to get a better sense of them. So there are a few photos of Ali on tour 2022 on the newsletter. We also have pictures of the outfits we talked about and links to the books that we referenced as well. That's all at gingeripod.substack.com. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm already excited for the next one. And in the meantime, I would love if you could leave a rating on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening because it really helps with the algorithm. We're obviously just starting out now, so it makes a difference. Also, if you have any comments, you can send them into us. We can read them on the next pod. And I love that Kevin sent 
sent us that voice note that we were able to play so if anyone else wants to do that too also obviously if you're going to Harry Styles it's Lane Castle I really want to know what you're wearing I am obsessed with the fan outfits I think people go all out and it's gorgeous so send us those as well but that is all from me for now I truly adore you Harry Styles reference and till next time I hope you're enjoying the sunshine and that we have a great summer of gigs and festivals <laughs>